Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This week on Red Dead Radio, we talk Red Dead Redemption 2 news, East Coast Killer, West Coast Killer, an Oregon Trail tangent, education, and much more. It's Jared Petty and Brian Altano. If you support the show on Patreon, would really appreciate it. That's reddeadradio.com or patreon.com slash Jared Petty. And please subscribe on YouTube or if you're listening on iTunes or Android, please subscribe. And if you would, leave us a review. Free horse with every episode. Horse not included with this episode. Hi, friends. Welcome to Red Dead Radio, the Red Dead Redemption podcast. I'm your host, Jared Petty. And as always, we're going straight to the wild, wild guest. Hi, I'm the wild, wild guest, Brian Altano. Thanks for having me. You are wild, wild indeed, Brian Altano. Where do folks know you from? Uh, God, man, I'm on a lot or not a lot, depending on what you watch. But I'm on IGN. uh, I'm on the comedy button. I'm on a show called The Weird Heat. I also have albums out. I uh, do a lot of things. But, you know, tonight I'm doing this. A modern day renaissance man. A little bit. So, Brian, you're here on our Red Dead Redemption show where each and every week we talk about Red Dead Redemption, Red Dead Redemption 2, our playthrough of the original, our excitement about the upcoming game, as well as discuss the Western films, television programs, comic books, books, music, at all, etc. that permeate our culture and affect everything we do every day. That's right. Yes. Yeah, it's really a part of, I think, who we are here in the American idiom. I think I think so, too. And uh, it's it's impossible. No matter where we go as a society, we are drifting closer and closer collectively into sort of larger masses in metropolitan areas. We are uh, also becoming more and more isolated. All of those things cannot move away from the fact that we did originate in the Wild West. And it was all the Wild West at some point. Right? It was. That is an interesting point. That's something they actually are really good about talking about in Stephen Ives' The West is that the West kind of changed yeah. and moved for the folks that called it the West. They also point out that the folks that came up from Mexico... For them, it was the north, or the, for the French-Canadian explorers, it was the south. And for the folks that lived here, it was just home. Yeah. But for the folks that finally ended up being the final conquerors of this territory, though so far as we are in history, it was the west. Yeah, I, uh, I've always been fascinated with that word because I grew up uh, in New Jersey and then in New York. And the only way to go that wasn't the ocean was west, really. Yeah. I mean, you could go north to Maine, which I didn't want to do, or you could go south of Florida, which I did once a year for Disney World. But everything else was west, everything. It's kind of rad. And that's actually something we're going to get to here a little farther along in the show. But first, as always with our wild, wild guest, I have to ask you, what's your history with Red Dead Redemption? Um, so Red Dead was a game I bought this the day it came out. Uh, and I think immediately... I think I went in with expectations that it was going to be like Grand Theft Auto, but with horses instead of cars. Ooh. And uh, was almost instantly um, had that train of thought rejected and realized that it is much, it's a much more vast, minimalist game. Can you, can you define uh, succinctly what you think makes each of those games distinctive from one another? Um, I would say that one of them is cluttered and chaotic, and then one of them is sort of brooding and minimalistic. Okay. And I, I think that I look, at it, I look at it in the same way I think of a lot of things 
in terms of East Coast and West Coast, you know, music and filmmaking and all these other things, um, there is an inherent chaos that comes with a game like Grand Theft Auto, uh, you know, anything that takes place in Liberty City, Grand Theft Auto 4 especially, it's, it's New York, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's packed. Every single moment in New York City is just, is just living, breathing chaos. And then you move out of that and you move into the suburbs and the quiet and to the, the Midwest and to the, the heartland. And all of a sudden things become uh, more open, not necessarily less dangerous, mind you. Uh-huh. Uh, there, it's, there's, there's a peacefulness there that I think you miss in the moment to moment of being in somewhere like New York City. But when you, when you get out into the wild open, um, there's, there's, it's sort of a more beautiful use of negative space. Ooh, I like that. And I mean that in an art, in an artistic sense, not sort of like in a, in a negative sense, because I would say that New York city is full of more negative people. (laughs) (laughs) No, I understand what you mean in artistic sense. And I like what you said about safety. I think it was Evan McConnell who said, uh, during the time of the Western expansion that for a lot of soldiers, uh, waiting on the frontier, that the West could be colossally boring until it was lethal. Right. Uh, and that, that, that there was a sense of emptiness, openness, space, and then suddenly tremendous terror or adventure or amazement, and then back to this vast we, peace and quiet. We have a terminology for that in like film production called hurry up and wait, mm. which is the two forms of like you're sitting, you're sitting, you're sitting, you're anxious, you're nervous, nothing's happening. And then you're speeding through the next scene or the next take or the next adventure, whatever it is. Um, and I think that, that that's that's pretty much what a lot of war is like, too, I imagine, mm-hmm. where it's a lot of just waiting, 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 and then hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, wait, wait, wait. It's, yeah. not, it's not all just chaos the entire time. Periods of interminable boredom broken by sheer terror. Yes. Uh, I, think, I can't yeah. remember who said that, but I've, I've read that somewhere as well. You mentioned also that for you, you talked about New York City being so congested. I, I want to start right here. We were going to talk about this anyway. Let's just jump right into it. You spent most of your life in the East. Yeah. And then you moved to the contemporary American West. And you've experienced both of those realities in kind of two big chunks of your life. The first part out there in in one of the most congested, famous, big, bright, blazing places on earth. And then coming across the United States to what is a very different culture. What mm-hmm. on, I think, most continents would be part of another country because of the vastness of the United yeah, States. Yeah, yeah, no, completely. Um, and it's interesting because it's like I grew up in uh, in basically a, a small-ish suburban town when I lived in New Jersey, and then New York City was always right there. It was right on, uh, like, I lived off of a highway. Down the highway, you could see the skyline. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I grew up looking at, at that. Okay. Um, and so when I moved to New York, uh, I knew I wanted to be there my entire life. I loved it. I fell in love with it. Um, and then I, I spent basically lived in and around it for, for a while and thought this is home. This is it. I don't need to see anything over there, which is stupid of me because it's also antithetical to the way I, I function in terms of like food and culture and ideas and traveling. I love to it, it, like exercise the, uh, the notion of finding things that I've never found before and eat things I've never eaten before and go to places I've never been, get outside of my comfort zone. It's so did it all feel like it was just, did you already, did you feel like there was so much diversity and variety crammed into that tiny geographic space that there was nothing to be learned from stepping outside? Was that what I think that's that a big part of it? Okay. I mean, I think that's a huge part of it. That's, um, I mean, that's one of my, one of my like strongest philosophies in terms of the way I interact with 
the world is that I learned at a very young age to be understanding and sympathetical and um, sort of inherently caring about things that weren't just me and people that looked like me, mm-hmm. right? Because you get exposure to a lot of different cultures and people and sexualities and ideas and foods and songs and everything. Uh, when you live in and around very sort of like culturally congested areas, which I think that you miss out a lot when you move to places where there isn't as much of that. Um, and you have to kind of go out of your way to seek it. And so for me, California was probably a lot of what people from the middle of the country think California is, Um, especially a place like San Francisco. I thought it was, you know, uh, cable cars and rice and (laughs) you know, I've I've been on one cable car in nine years since I moved here. I've never had rice I'm still not sure why that's a thing. How much soy have you consumed? Soy? Yeah. So that's the thing. I mean, that's the other thing. I hear that a lot. Um, Almost none, because I only because I don't think it tastes great. Uh-huh. Um, if there was an excellent way to cook it, I would eat it. Yeah. But I would probably also have a steak with it. This is a city where you can get one of the best steaks, and they'll tell you the farm that it came from. Like in terms of major metropolitan areas, uh, it's it's less about fast food and it's more about really great food mm-hmm. and really great culture. And to me, if that was if soy was something you'd be looking for, I don't know. Like, I don't have any friends who are like, I love to eat soy, but I'm also like, I'm, you know, I'm a pudgy Italian kid from the East coast. And uh, I don't I, think you're pudgy. I, well, you know, it comes and goes. Uh, but the idea of eating pizza without cheese on it is a nightmare to me. No, um, no one should do that. Yeah. That said, I don't think in inher- like ma- drinking milk inherently makes you a man. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't know how to cook your own steak, which a lot of people who say <laughs> Really? Is that the, is that the test? Is no, it? I think if you say if you if you imply that other people eat soy, but you eat your steak well done with ketchup, you're a child. So okay, I, I that, not touching that one with a ten. I'll throw it out there. Whatever. <laughs> no. So that said, like coming to the West Coast, I had a lot of ideas of what that was like, and I didn't know. Um, I mean, you hear the West yeah. when you grow up on the East Coast and you think cowboy hats. Mm-hmm. And in New York City, nobody wears cowboy hats. You just don't see them. There was a store in New Jersey on the highway near where I lived called Western Boot World. Oh, that's awesome. And it was fucking amazing. Like they just straight up sold Western boots that had the the, the, the spurs and everything on them. And there, like the idea of even like you would have to drive 45 minutes to even go horseback riding where I lived. You uh-huh. know, it was not really... It's not like there were farms everywhere. They're around. You know, New Jersey, actually, when you get into the, like every state, when yeah. you drive a little p- bit past, you know, past the margins, you get to uh, you get to the heartland of it where you start to see farms and you start to see vast areas and you start to see uh, horses and, uh, yeah. and other things. And so the idea of Western boot world being a thing was something we didn't understand. And like we went through the recession in the 2000s okay. and a lot of stores closed on the highway that I went to and a lot of bookstores, a lot of CD stores, all these things. Tell me Western boot world endured. Western boot world endured. I don't know if they're still there, <laughs> but as of like two years ago, they were still kicking. No pun intended. Red Dead Radio sponsored you this week by Western. By boot Western world. boot world. Yeah. <laughs> largest advertising budget in the game. And so, um, you know, it's like you, you grow up with this weird, uh, I, I would say romanticism for, um, for, for the West Coast. Okay. 
and you don't exactly know what it is. And for the West in general, like I, I grew up, my dad was a big Mel Brooks fan. Oh, so okay. he showed me Blazing Saddles when I was a kid. Um, you know, unbeknownst to me that there's a lot of really offensive shit in that movie, but it's also incredibly funny. And so the idea of the Wild West as a comedic setting was was new to me. Oh, fascinating. Um, yeah. And so like one of my first like introductions to comedy was through Mel Brooks and through him I learned about um, Young Frankenstein, obviously, mm-hmm. which is, is a classic. And and Blazing Saddles, which is one of the, you know, I still maintain one of the funniest movies ever made. And the thing that I really liked about it, um, there's a gag in that movie about Wild West prop towns. Wild West. Oh, that's, oh, I remember that. That's right. Yeah. Which is um, basically there's, it's a, it's, it's a series of fronts effectively, which is, it it is the kind of building. and, And I, this is the thing you couldn't really trick people with this in New York city. New York city is such a three dimensional space, Yeah, but you could walk down a street uh, in in a fake Wild West town, and see the bunch of fronts, yeah, and probably be convinced that it's real, right? Because of what? Because the negative space it's set against. Yes, I think because so. Of, okay, I think so, and I think it's because there's there's sort of like there's less there's less depth to the architecture in in a Western town. It's and also a lot of the best action doesn't really happen inside the buildings. Like when you think about Wild West towns, you think about the saloon. Yep. And that's it. No, really, right? And so, it, so it's an it's an interesting it, it's you an interesting setting. The dance hall and yeah, the sheriff's and office, the barn, yeah. maybe, and there's the yeah. jail, right? Which there's always a, has a door. jail. Yeah, and it's always the the side of the jail is blown open because the guy's escaped. And you have the general store yep. where where the the male lead meets the female lead. Yeah. Um, and so when you make an open world game, when Rockstar makes an open world game like GTA, yeah. um, you're like, I got to go in every store. I, and when the doors are closed, you're pissed off because that's antithetical to the way you operate in New York City. In New York city you can walk down the street and every door is is well is welcoming or weird in a weird way yeah um which is odd because it's an angry place um that necessarily isn't full of friendship Um, (laughs) it's mostly strangers i always argued that the landscape in new york city is the people and it changes Mm. every single day it's like randomly generated skylines full of people well i mean that's very represented in GTA. Yeah. yeah. And I, I do operate on the thesis that I agree with you. There is a tremendous artistic and uh, and storytelling distinction between Grand Theft Auto, which is a parodic uh, yes. and satirical uh, franchise, and uh, Red Dead, which has proven to be something very different, that while it contains elements of humor and parody, it is playing it much more straight. Mm-hmm. straight. It is a game that is largely about immersive storytelling and majesty. Um, yes. And... Those are not, uh, that's why I, but having said that, I do think that in a way Red Dead 2 is a sequel to GTA 5 as much or more as it is a sequel to Red Dead 1. And what I mean in that is that this is them taking their next step in open world gaming and, yeah. and defining that genre, mm-hmm. uh, which is something Rockstar does pretty well. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's inherently when you're playing, um, when you're playing something like GTA you're effectively a menace. Yeah. Like you are, you are chaotic evil and you are out there <laughs> to combine all the living, breathing, passive elements of the city that you're in into one massive destruction. I mean, there are people that create 50 car pileups in that yeah. game. They, they take um, civilians walking down the street and they blow them to smithereens or shoot them into space, whatever you can and do. And it's fun. And it's fun. And I think inherently with... Red Dead, there's there's more of a respect for the environment and the backdrop that 
plays out beneath and around you is something a little bit more beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yes, you are a menace to the animals in that game. You hunt and kill, uh, but there's almost a purpose to it because you take those things and you sell them. When you murder a guy in GTA, you don't drag his corpse to the store and make five bucks and get a bigger wallet. No. But that's the thing you can kind of do in Red Dead when you kill a bunch of animals. You can actually take yeah. them back and do that. That's, I like the point you're making here. Actually, we're going to go what you said about that visual distinctiveness and cultural distinctiveness. When we come back for the next segment, we're going to talk more about that because it's about time for our shootout, which is our Red Dead Redemption 2 news and uh, also a little on the trail. We'll be right back. And we're back. Now, before we start with Shootout, just a quick note about On the Trail, which is our weekly playthrough of Red Dead 1. Brian, I'm playing back through uh, the first Red Dead Redemption for the first time in a long time right now. Which is fun. Yeah, no, for sure. It's redonkulous fun. Uh, I mean, there was a reason people keep asking for that game to be ported to everything. People don't really do that with games that aren't good. Like, that's a classic. It's a superb video game, and it really does hold up going back to it. Um, I'm playing it on regular Xbox One. I I hear the One X version is beautiful, but I don't have a One X, so I haven't gotten to to do that yet. But I I find it, it's already a really pretty game, frankly, in its own right, uh, despite its age. Uh, But folks have been wanting to play along. And last week, uh, Greg was kind of like, hey, so, you know, what's, what are you going to tell folks that want to play along? Like, well, it's Red Dead, so I just like to wander around and do stuff. But as much as I love that, mm-hmm. I realized afterward, that's not really fair to our audience who wants to keep up. Yeah. So I'm still going to wander around and do stuff and tell stories as we come to that. But this week, rather than give a long narrative about my adventures this week, I'm going to save that for next. I'm just going to tell you that if you want to play along on the main quest, I'm going to play up through the quest called A Tempest Looms, which is about the ninth or so main quest in the walkthrough. So if you're interested in playing through, I'm using IGN's walkthrough. It has an, it, if you scroll down past the uh, missions listed by character, you'll find a consecutive order walkthrough for the main missions. I'm going through A Tempest Looms for next week. If you want to play along, we'll be talking through up through that area, plus whatever side quests and weird, wonderful environmental stuff, which, let's be honest, is really yeah. the heart of Red Dead. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so I'm going to play through. You're going to play through it before uh, before 2 comes out? I was thinking about it. Um, I think I I think I will jump back in at least for a little bit. I don't know if I'll finish it. Yeah. But it'll be good to sort of get... What I, I like to do with games like that is I get re-sort of acclimated with mm-hmm. everything. Just so when the new one comes out, I can be like, oh my God, that's better, that's better, that's yeah. better. Because I know that's the way it's going to work. Uh, Rockstar is really phenomenal at, at sort of taking their little microclimates of systems mm-hmm. and th- like kind of incrementally increasing them or just throwing them out the window and vastly overhauling them. So I hope... Uh, that's something I'll be able to track be- between now and launch. I hope so, too. We talked about this a lot last week, but it seems like the creative direction for the game, based on the uh, preview that IGN, where you work, uh, did recently, that that's exactly their MO with this yeah. game, is refining a formula that they created before and kind of creating a new kind of open-world gameplay that's that's intrinsically and intuitively immersive, where it's harder to tell where the game ends and the story and the quest lines, you know, right. where the mechanics and the storyline are blended so much that it's sometimes hard to tell where the quests really are. Which is really smart, because, I mean, I think that a lot of open-world games suffer from that issue um, where they have to meet this marriage of of the chaos of the open world yeah. and the constant reminder that there's something important going on and there's a story that needs to keep happening. Yeah. Um, a game like Far Cry 5, you know, shoots you with a dart and drags you into the story zone yeah. um, right in the middle of you hunting for pelts to sell. 
And Far Cry has the luxury of being a game that's designed to be kind of wacky, mm-hmm. whereupon Red Dead is not about wacky. No, uh, no, not necessarily. I mean, it can be. Yeah. It can um, be. When the last Red Dead game came out, I had a friend that came over. Uh, I was one of the only people in San Francisco that had laundry in my apartment unit. Oh. Which some of you who live outside of a major city are probably laughing at that because that's probably totally normal for you. Oh, no. But for us in major cities, it's next to impossible. And so I had a washer dryer in my unit mm-hmm. and my friend would come over um, and it took me a minute to realize if he was my friend or not <laughs> because I thought he was just using the laundry. <laughs> yeah. Like the kid that, that he has a friend who they just stay their friends so they can play their Nintendo games. Yes. Like that kid? Yeah, yeah, which I was that kid. Okay. Um, so uh, yeah, he, my friend Tony would come over and he would do laundry and while we were doing, he was one of those guys that was like kind of a lapsed gamer and he would be like do you have any games i can play and i was like yeah i got this red dead game and he's like what's it about and i'm like oh it's like you're a cowboy and he's like oh awesome i'll fire it up and so he would play it and i'd be in the other room playing my 3ds or playing something on the other tv or something like that and uh or i would i would go out for a few hours you know come back whatever it was and he would just do laundry, play Red Dead, and I'd come home and he'd be like, hey, I made you like $10,000. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, I would I just go hunting. That's uh-huh. all I do in Red Dead. So he would go out on the horse, get all the guns, hunt all day. He basically treated it like open world buck hunter. And he was just having fun. And yeah, and he would just come back to me and he'd be like, I got you all the best guns. I bought you all the best stuff in the game. <laughs> And I would okay. go, yeah, it was like, it's really funny because like Ryan Scott told me, Ryan Scott, my co-host in the comedy button, yeah. told me a story growing up about how his mom used to play Zelda for him while he was at, at school and she would just get him rupees all day oh, and he'd wow. come home and she'd be like, I got you all the rupees, which is weird because I came as a cap on rupees. 255, but yeah. it does take a while to get 255 That's unless true. you know where they're hidden. Oh, I know where they're hidden. Yeah, so do I. We, <laughs> we, we, know, this. we, we know where to get those. Get to there are things, many, many things I do not know or understand in this world, but I know where those fucking rupees are. Don't even walk into Labyrinth 1 without the blue ring and the white Seriously. sword. Seriously. Yeah, yeah, no and reason like six to. hearts. Come yeah, on, exactly. don't even. You don't want to do those things. Exactly. Um, <laughs> there we go. This is, That's another podcast another for another podcast day. entirely. But no, he treated it like that and it was funny because so I almost played, it was like playing that game with the Game Shark yeah. or Game Genie because I would come home and I would have, I'd be like, you... I can't, I can't be mad at you. Except it was a grown man neighbor. Yeah, That's exactly. pretty spectacular yep. that yep. you had a personal hunter. It's like having a personal shopper for Red Dead. I know. It was really great until like my uh, electric bill came every month. Oh, and then it wasn't so good. Yeah. Because Not from the Red Dead, mostly the, the laundry. laundry. <laughs> spectacular. I, uh, I, <laughs> that's, everybody has... One of the thing, reasons I started this show, like, why would you start a show about one game? Everybody has a Red Dead story like yeah. that. Uh, uh, Greg told an amazing one last week about something that just happened in his world, in his game, that probably didn't happen to hardly anybody else that right. ever played because of those weird... And because it's a storytelling game, some of them are about the metatextual narrative of what happened with us and friends. Even though it's single player, or most of it's single player, we end up talking about it our social experiences with other people because it's kind of built that way. You were sort of playing Red Dead like a bunch of kids sort of played the Oregon Trail in a classroom. Oh God, day, yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, I think that like that's what's so special about these games is they, is they are they have that water cooler conversation thing, right? Where people go in and they go like, "This is what happened to me last night," mm-hmm. and it's completely different than what happened to you. And everyone has their own sort of story. And, and it's very rarely the story that the game is trying to tell you. Okay. Well, you know? I, and I think they understand that. I think yeah. that they just lean into that. And that, that, that's part of what, ma- how they make that magic work. I'm not sure. So 
Jumping into Shootout for a second, which is Red Dead News. We had so much news from the big IGN breakout last week Mm -hmm. that we decided to break it into two parts. Yeah, for sure. So we're going to cover a little more of that. Last week, we talked a lot about the gameplay thematic stuff. But this week, I want to touch for a second on uh, the gang. Uh, The fact that Dutch's gang was revealed, or a lot of those members. And we don't know that much about many of them but we did learn that you're going to be a part of all of their lives and they have like camp jobs that they do and some of these are returning faces we saw john Mm -hmm. obviously and we see a couple of other people that you'll recognize from from games you played before i was not surprised to see uncle yeah um, pop up there for example but we also have uh some new faces um sadie uh popped out at me immediately because i had thought i'd spotted in the original red dead teaser uh, female clothing on one of the riders. And right. I was pretty excited. We did a rewind theater when I still worked here. Yep. I was like, yay, Sadie's there. I was right. Um, but Arthur, our main protagonist. And I wondered, have you read much about Arthur yet? No, no, no. Okay. School me. Okay, so I don't want to talk it to death, so I'll be real quick. The game does appear to center, or even though it's about a, a whole gang of characters, and there's a lot of them. There are a lot of people in this encampment. But I get the impression that they are leaning all in on him being the face of the game and that this is, despite the fact that it's an open world RPG, going to have that kind of JRPG vibe of this is his story. Mm-hmm. You know, when you play an old JRPG, uh, it differed from old Western RPGs and that JRPGs are largely about character. You know, you play as Cloud Strife. You don't play as generic fighter man. Right. Uh, whereupon if you're playing like Ultima or Wizardry or something, you were generic fighter man. Yeah. Soldier. Yeah. Soldier. Lone traveler or mm-hmm. something. Arthur is Arthur. He has a personality. Uh, the personality they presented for him is that he is strong, assertive, charismatic, thoughtful. He appears to be a really smart dude. Uh, that that's something they seem to have leaned into with him. He's right. Dutch's right hand man. He doesn't run the gang, but he's the guy that gets things done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's kind of the sergeant major of the unit. And that while you have great franchise over how you play him, there is the constant ability to make dynamic choices. Have you seen this at all? Yes. Okay. So you're going to be able to go in and unlike the old game where it was kind of binary, it's going to be contextual. You're not always, again, I, this is based on what I've read. You're not always going to be able to be like, well, here's the good choice and here's the bad choice. So when you asked me, I hesitated. It's because this scares me a little bit. Okay. Um, Rockstar has a tremendous ability to make me feel guilty for a lot of things. (laughs) And I still, I have remorse for decisions I made with friends and family in GTA 4. Like in terms of the way those relationships unfolded, where your friends or your cousin would call you to hang out. And you'd bail on him, and eventually he'd stop calling you, or he'd call you less. Uh, yeah, and that is honestly one of the most realistic depictions of friendships that a video game has ever handled before. Um, non-realistic was the time I took a girl on a date in a helicopter, crashed her into a skyscraper, jumped out, and she called me from the hospital like two days later, asking me if I wanted to date her again. But you gotta love Rockstar. No, I love that. Uh, <laughs> But I have re- I have remorse and regret for like decisions and the way I've handled that and so the sort of like the gangs and the encampments and the way you interact with people and the goods and bad choices, um, this shit keeps me up at night, man. Mm-hmm. Like making the wrong decision with somebody, like the the way even like the walk the Telltale games would always handle it. The blah blah blah. We'll remember that. Yeah, you know it's, that is a haunting sentiment. Oh yeah. Will like, any it, of us ever forget? Carly will remember that. No, I mean, no. I mean, and it just it sticks with you, and so that. 
happening on a moment to moment as somebody who bumbles through a lot of life and says a lot of things he shouldn't say and accidentally pisses off a lot of people and has a big stupid mouth um that scares me because i feel like i'm going to make a lot of incorrect decisions or i'm going to send people down the wrong path and i'm going to burn bridges and hurt friendships and fuck things up well i i I think that makes the game more compelling. I think oh, of that course. Adds, yeah, and that's what I'm excited about. But it also frightens me. I wonder about... So they did a good job, I thought, in the first Red Dead, where the systems were a little more on the surface in what was what's probably going to be a, a less sophisticated approach that yes. was their first pass. They did a good job of making John... I mean, I think most people like John. Yeah. John's likable. Do you agree? Yes. Um, yet at the same time, you can choose to cold-bloodedly murder people, or you can choose to talk your way out of things. You can approach things a lot of different ways. In this one, they're going to lean even more into the options being contextual based on time of day, your previous history with this person, where they're coming from, where they're going, what's happened, whether or not they're hungry. You right, know, um, right, that's right, right. Gonna... So my question for you on that is... We have a distinctive personality in Arthur, but your Arthur's not going to be exactly my Arthur. I know. What do you think the key to pulling that off is? Oh, man. Um, like, how do they develop that? Or yeah. how... how what, well, what does that look like ideally for you? I mean, you mentioned the Oregon Trail, right? Yeah. Which is, uh, I think, one of the first real games to do that in that you and I would have vastly different adventures setting down the same road. That's true. Cause you're going to same town, same stop, same forts, yep. but you picked, you know, a, a dentist and I picked a lawyer and you know, I lost two wheels. You lost three. We all drown at the same time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there I, it is. I am going to write a book about this before I die. Uh, the Oregon trail, I believe is the, the most subversive video game ever made. Yes. It is a game designed for, it's particularly the 1985 version is a game designed for children to get away with stuff. Yeah. It is a game where you can put your friends in a wagon and murder them. The, it the, is a the very, the very <laughs> concept of that being in the back pocket of every computer that was in every classroom in my initial schooling and in, 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 in my first through fifth grade, you know, yes. my earliest years, my, the first time I ever th thought that you could even bring video games into school or into work or that there was even a word for that. And they, you know, they like loosely masked it as edutainment. That was my first, that is the first red dead game I ever played. Right. <laughs> I, love I mean, that. it had hunting when you hunted too much, there were no more of that animal. You yep. could, you could effectively overhunt. It had, it had, character deaths you know it had cowboy hats and and caulking the wagon across like that was basically there were horses that was the first time i ever played a western yeah you were a child gunning down buffalo yeah dying you yeah. could die you could die in the and not only could you die but you could choose to murder your party if you yeah. wanted then you could leave an obscene message yep for whoever came because the disc was shared in your classroom for years yep because school's didn't have any money. Mm -hmm. And so three years later, some kid would come along, find your tombstone and see the nasty message you left about your teacher. Yeah. If and you, they would be in the same classroom with the same teacher and be like, ah! if you wanted to piss off a number of strangers at school, you could either write something horrible on the bathroom yeah. wall or leave it in Oregon trail. Yeah. That is, I am. I mean, I've already written part of it, yeah. but I am going to finish this book. Later. I mean, that is, that is effectively the first West, the, the first wild West game I ever played. Okay. Right? So how do we take that? And, and is it that same idea that Arthur is kind of the trail and that the choices you make are going to determine what that feels like? I mean, yeah. As we're talking about merging a character. And I, I think so. And I think it's something a lot of games have experimented with, but, um, you know, Rockstar has the sort of, uh, the comfort slash audacity to take, five, six years between 
titles mm -hmm. and really focus on making them special. Whereas everybody else has to put out a new game every year. Um, and I find that business model fascinating and I'm sure everyone watching the MPD does because for every year we get an Assassin's Creed and you know, it's diminishing yeah. returns for a lot of them and they have to stop the franchise <laughs> and reboot the franchise. Rockstar quietly sits back and they go, well, no, we'll, we're taking to take this year off. And yeah. for everyone in the hubbub of E3, Rockstar sits back and goes, we're not going to be there. We don't need to do that. And then they quietly put out a game. They put out a couple screenshots here and there. They build up this huge tease. The fact that you can document the fact that a year ago, two years ago, when you worked here, you were doing rewind theaters on teaser trailers. And the fact that we're now finally really talking about this game, yeah. which I fully won't believe will be released until it's in my hands and I'm playing <laughs> it. Because they have a tendency to take their time, and they should. And they should. Um, because if you look at the sales, it's working. Uh, I know that they will take a system that we all understand from Oregon Trail to the Tamagotchi to Clementine to every character that we've helped shape the narrative of mm -hmm. individually in video games. And they will knock it out of the fucking park. And they'll make something special. And it's going to be scary because I'm going to be envious of, of yours and you'll be envious of mine. And but that's part of the, the joy is that we will compare those notes. Yes. And that it, it, we're going to come to, we may come to the same final cutscene for all I know, but the paths we took to get to it yeah. will be vastly different. And that I love that. Maybe we won't come to the same. You talk, talk to like, you talk to parents, you talk to pet owners and they're like, Oh, my dog really loves it when you do this. And you go, Oh, my dog hates when you, my dog's an asshole. Or, my, cat, <laughs> my cat's a real piece of shit. My cat's the friendliest person in the world. You can walk it on a leash, you know, yeah. stuff like that. The yeah. friendliest person in the world. Why? That's will what I just it, said. Oh, goodness. It, will, it, will it surpass Pokemon Go as the world's greatest open world game? <laughs> uh, but, we'll see. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's interesting because there's, uh, with, I, I, I'm, fa I'm really interested in the way Rockstar does their business because yeah, when they started open world games, they were one of the only open world games. And then everyone came in to make an open world game. And in terms of making open world games like GTA, yeah. there was a minute there where everyone tried. And then they just stopped. Yep. Um, and in the years where, where Rockstar wasn't making a GTA, which were many of them, where they were still on the top three best-selling games of the year, uh, other companies tried to make open-world games that were based in cities. Uh, and then we moved into more open areas. You look at games like Far Cry, Horizon, Breath of the Wild. These are yeah. open-world games that share some tendencies with Red Dead, I would say. You know, they have hunting. They have um, gathering. They have beautiful, vast, minimalistic vistas and stuff like that. Uh, Rockstar comes back every single time and they go, this is how it's done. Yeah, I'm sure there's others and somebody's going to yell at me in the comments and remind me I forgot it. But outside of Bethesda, I can't think of another company that was contemporaneous with Rockstar that was doing open worlds the yeah. way they did. Yeah. Um, and Bethesda's approach was different, but it was a, it was a different kind of high quality approach. Mm -hmm. um, other than that, they, those two effectively, I think, kind of co-invented the popular version of that genre we have yes. today. There were definitely open world games before that. Someday we're going to have the Sid Meier's Pirate cast and talk about how much all open world games owe to that. So we lost power there for a while, but we're back. And it's probably for the best that we did because we were going a little long. And there's actually even more news. So once again, we're going to save that news for next week because that breakout story, well, there's just a lot in it. A lot to unpack. There is say. a lot to a lot as they say. As they say. But uh, we also on our show like to talk about Western film, Western television, all kinds of Western influenced art that made its way into Red Dead or that Red Dead reminds us of. And I brought you on here today specifically to talk about a contemporary artistic issue related to East and West. Right. Uh, something you know a lot about that I know nothing about. So this <laughs> is going to be entirely on you. Sure. But uh, my friend, I want you to talk about the 
American Eastern versus Western musical dichotomy oh. that exists, particularly in the world of hip hop. Got this is it. something you know a lot about. And I, I really want you to talk first about what that is and how it came to be and why it's a geographic issue. And second, it, it just in general, if you could just swing that back around to music and regional music in a way to help us understand kind of what's going on in Red Dead there. Sure. Um, I think uh, it's it's so it's so cool that you can't, if you look at like Rockstar's two biggest franchises, you have Red Dead and you have Grand Theft Auto. Uh-huh. And Grand Theft Auto is East Coast hip hop. Okay. It's taken place in the West Coast. It's gone to LA. It's gone to Miami and stuff like that. Uh, that is a game. GTA is effectively a game that kind of began as we know it in a fake version of New York, New York city. Okay. And GTA, they they, rocks are reached out to uh, like local hip hop celebrities and hip hop DJs and stuff like that. When you drive around in GTA, you're listening to rap. Mm-hmm. For the a most part, the right? yeah. a lot of the time, yeah. um, there like that is that is the culture that is a lot of a lot of what feeds into that world uh, comes from that, and then Red Dead I think um, really leans obviously much more into the sort of more guitar twangy, laid back, low key minimalist music, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the West Coast hip hop. And to me, growing up in the East Coast, I grew up listening to New York City hip hop yeah. because you have a regional bias, and also there's a territorial aspect to that. Expound if you don't mind. Well. Um, Hip-hop is one of the few genres where people um, will argue that the music coming from the location that they're in is better than it is somewhere else. Like, a, I, I don't want to trivialize this, but like in a sports team kind of way? Yes. Okay. Yes. With hi- yes, that's a good way of putting it. All right. Um, hip-hop definitely has a, there's a regional bias to hip-hop. Okay. Um, and for a very long time, that was an easy contest because New York always won. Always. Oh. Um, and then little by little, the world learned, and specifically other places in the in the in the in the country learned how to make really good hip hop. And we started seeing stuff coming out of the West. We saw uh, Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg put out the Chronic, which is the first West Coast hip hop album that really anyone on the East Coast fucked with, as they say. <laughs> okay, what do you mean by that? So basically, in New York City, if you lived on the East Coast, you listen to New York City hip hop, okay. and you were all set. And you were there around kind of that local scene while it was going on, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, and I had everything I needed. Everything was right there. Yeah. You know, I had I had my Jay-Zs. I had my Nas's. Uh, going back to Eric B. and Rakim, even the original sort of hip-hop movies took place on the East Coast, like stuff like Style Wars and Wild Style and Beach Street. Those were all, they were about the graffiti movement. They were about the breakdancing movement. They were about rapping. They were about all that was happening right there. Okay. Spray canning on the trains, all that kind of stuff. Little by little, we started hearing about the stuff that uh, we didn't have on the East Coast, which was really big, long cars that would bounce and (laughs) people smoking a lot of weed and a lot of like being laid back and people having like do-rags wrapped around their heads and stuff like that. And we didn't really understand that on the East Coast because a lot of people in New York city didn't really have cars. You were, know? were you not laid back with your mind on your money and your money on your mind? Eventually I was, okay. it took, it took a while. All right. I was wondering about that. Uh, but Dr. Dre's the chronic was the first West coast hip hop album that I think really infected the entire world in a good mm-hmm. way. Um, but to me, I grew up 
listening to a lot of independent music and a lot of independent hip hop. And in New York City, that meant a lot of smaller groups. You had guys like, you would listen to people like MF Doom and Company Flow. But then you would start listening to other people out on the West Coast. Uh, and there was a label called Stone's Throw. Okay. Uh, and they put out acts like Mad Lib and um, Peanut Butter Wolf and all these funny names. Uh, yeah, it's a great name. Um, and so listening to their music was a lot like the way you would describe GTA versus Red Dead. New York City hip hop and hip hop production in New York City was dense, urgent, cluttered, chaotic, threatening. Um, and then you would go out to the West Coast and you would hear things that were more laid back. There was why, la- why do you think the West Coast was more laid back? Where, what caused it? What was the the genesis of that? I think it's just it's just slower. It's more chilled out. It's life. Less, you mean or? life? Okay. Life on the West Coast in general is is slower. Okay. than it is in New York City. New York City, there's a constant urgency. If you are five minutes late to a meeting in New York City, you can get fired. Uh-huh. On the West Coast, it rolls right off of you. West Coast legalized weed earlier, or at least decriminalized it earlier. In New York City, that was still very much a police state for anything like that. Um, I feel like a lot of my success on the West Coast has been because I brought my psychotic East Coast tendencies out across the country. <laughs> and that sort of like nonstop flurry of workaholic urgency has carried over. So where people will go like, hey man, like what should we do today? I'm already like three steps ahead. I'm like, we're doing this, 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 this. And people like slow the fuck down. Okay, you, you, just got, you got to chill a little bit. Chill out, slow down. I've noticed a lot of that since I moved out here, certainly. Man, people flake here like nowhere I've ever been. Yeah. Uh, I grew up out east. People say they're going to be someplace. Generally speaking, they're going to be there. You yeah. make the plan, you show up. Here, someone might show up at some point and you might get a text. Right. But and, and so, but, and, and to add to that, like I said, in comparing Red Dead and GTA, yeah. just because one place is more cluttered and urgent doesn't make it more dangerous and doesn't make the laid back West Coast less dangerous mm-hmm. because a lot of the hip hop that was coming out was equally violent. It was just kind of chilled out and violent, which is somehow scarier. <laughs> What's an example of a chilled out violent uh, track? Snoop Dogg. Okay. I mean, Snoop Dogg being like murder was the case that they gave me. Like he's very nonchalantly explaining the tr- the, the, the actual charges he got uh-huh. in killing someone, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and then on the, on the East Coast, you would hear a lot of gunshots. You'd hear a lot of police sirens made it into music and stuff like that. The the urgency of using breakbeats as a backbone for New York City hip hop meant that they would take old funk and they would take old jazz and they would isolate a small element of that where there was a drum breakdown or a, a bass line, usually something kind of funky, funky, and they would add like very cluttered drums and noises and horn stabs to it and they'd rap over it very quickly and they'd you know, talk about killing people and stuff like that. And you'd come out to the West Coast and they were sampling George Clinton, you know? Yeah. They, they were sampling P-Funk. And like, not, you, you couldn't have the early Dr. Dre, the early Snoop Dogg, the early NWA without, without P-Funk, right? Without mm. Parliament and Funkadelic. Making all these music that was just like very laid back, yeah. very, very stonery, very, um, lots of kind of funky synths and stuff like that. Um, and a lot of like twangy kind of guitars. And so a lot of West coast hip hop for a very long time was more laid back, more sort of had more guitar influenced, more parliament funkadelic right. influenced. And so you would listen to it and you'd be like, this is really chilled out, but you would listen to the message in it and you'd be like, Oh, but they're still killing people. <laughs> so what's the state today? Uh, between the two? Um, I think in, in the same sort of, you know, cultural melting pot where almost everything else is, right? Where uh, 
I've, I've talked specifically about two coasts in hip hop. It would be a crime for me not to bring up the South, yeah. which is where a lot of the urgency of New York City hip hop met with the laid back ideology of West Coast hip hop. Yeah. And they threw in their double timed hi hats, which is that, you know, you hear all that shit. And I love all that, right? And so all of that meshed together. And for a while there, you know, the South was winning and then the West was winning and the East was winning and all this stuff like that. Now I think so much of it just folds together to the point where you hear, you know, you could hear someone like Taylor Swift singing over a song that has like New York city drums, but an Atlanta hi hat and then like a West coast guitar underneath it. So it's all there. I love the comparison you draw between, between Liberty city and, and, um, red dead. Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense. And I'm so glad we had John here to talk about that because I really do think that's extraordinarily insightful and thematically congruent with, with what they're trying to do with both these games. I, I really appreciate that. Also you, a composer for music. You wrote the theme for the show. I did. Yeah, that's the I, fastest way to get a guest spot, I guess. <laughs> oh, it's, it's the right thing. No, you'd have been here anyway, but definitely it helps. Uh, it d- doesn't hurt at all. Yeah. Um, you wrote the thing. What were your influences in what you did musically for this thing? Well, you shot me a text that was sort of like, "Hey, I want something that's sort of like twangy and guitar-y. and um, I, I believe you mentioned a couple of different sort of influences. That, yeah. Um, do you remember which I ones? Talked about, I talked about Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, yeah, of course. Yeah. I talked about a couple other things this and over, yeah. But that, when it came to musically, what pulled you in? Like, where, where did you go? Um, so I, I immediately went, I, I use a lot of guitar work in my music. Yeah. Um, and I work with an incredibly, exceptionally talented guitarist named Thomas Rakowitz a lot. Uh, he's fantastic. He's put out his own music, um, lots and lots of albums. He's played on a bunch of my stuff and hopefully more very soon. Uh, and so... When I first started working with him, I had actually bought a guitar the day before and I was going to, I was going to play again. I actually played guitar when I was like 12 or 13. I took lessons for like five years. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, never learned notes, just tablature. And, uh, so guitar has always been part of my music. It's something I really appreciate. And so I immediately went in with that influence and used a lot of guitar heavy synths. And, um, I felt like the drums had to sort of be plotting and sort of, Um, a little softer than something crunchier and grimier you would get in my usual kind of sci-fi dystopian production. Okay. Um, That said, I did still bring in some modern synths and stuff like that. And I had a guy, when we published the song, he was like, you know, the synths don't really fit in with, with the, with the theme of the music here. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, but neither does like 4k HDR and cloud saves. (laughs) I remember reading that. Yeah. At some point you have to take what was originally this fully focused Western game and realize that it will also have fast travel. Well, if we, if we never did that, we never have star Wars. Exactly. And sooner or later, we're going to get there, but star Wars and firefly and, you know, yes. How, and likewise, how many Westerns, you know, if we, if we didn't have Yojimbo, if we didn't have, yep. uh, if we didn't have seven samurai, mm-hmm. then we wouldn't have fistful of dollars. And no, not even close. The magnificent seven. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, these influences cross over and become new things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you did. Yeah. Really and rad. you know, I, I use, there's, I, it's not so much about the issue instruments I go to a lot but it was a lot about the ones that I don't go to when making like a song for a show like this because I had to pull myself away from using a lot of very synthy stuff a lot of very quick moving stuff a lot of you know pianos have a certain distinct sound um, or there's organs with with the wild west you know like pianos have that rusty sound to them you know organs have that sort of creepy echoey full-bodied sound to them um and and guitars have that twang and that echo to them and all that is very important when creating music for 
uh, something that is inspired by the West, you know, and I, I, I think I, that's obviously you'll see more of that when the game's out because they'll dedicate a full soundtrack to that. Okay. There won't be New York City hip hop DJs yelling over your horse, although we we don't know. We don't know that. That would be cool to mod in a time machine. <laughs> but we suspect. <laughs> we suspect. Well, Brian, thank you for that one. We're headed into our final segment now, uh, so we're going to take a break here, and we'll be right back. All right, my friend, I got this newfangled technology here. We're back, and uh, it's time for Luck of the Draw. Four completely random topics that have nothing to do with the Wild West. One deck of cards. Brian, depending on what you draw, we're going to ask one of these questions. I got four questions picked out here. Okay. All right, so just draw the top card or any card you want. Any card? Any card. I'll go with the top card for All the right. first one. What's the suit? It's a joker. It's of a joker. Course it is. Of course it's a joker. That's right. So, uh, damn it. Yeah. So, <laughs> we don't have a joker category because I forgot to take the jokers out of the deck. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So, why don't we try this again? I thought that was for me. It's a fucking other joker. <laughs> I was. Have you shuffled this deck? I have. I think it's a sign. <laughs> so dumb. It's not a joker anymore. That's okay. Good. What is it? Oh, we got a club. Yeah. All right. So we got a club. Five of clubs. All right. So the question is: This is from uh, this is from Dave Brander. Oh, he's friend of a uh, friend of Pockets Full of Soup too. Hey, Dave. Uh, what one piece of entertainment, books, TVs, films, games, etc., should be in a school's curriculum? Oh man. For example, we all studied Shakespeare at school. What's the equivalent? A thing that should be. In a school's curriculum that a, isn't. Yeah, a piece of popular entertainment that should be in a school's curriculum. And oh, not. man. Um, he's talking kind of about our world that we walk around here in the realm of, of geekdom. What should people be playing or watching or reading from this crazy, grotesque geekiverse mm -hmm. that makes up our day-to-day -day lives? God damn, that is, such a, that is such a tough one. Isn't that a great question? That's a I, fucking I, great question, Yeah, I pick, I pick these out. I try to get good questions, and, and Dave's always got some good stuff. He's, um, a, he's a thoughtful dude. God, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to think of something that's like both simple and accessible and also kind of all-encompassing. Maybe a good place to, to turn would be something you're grateful, something that changed your life that you feel like would speak to others. What's... Uh, um, that's got that kind of a, uh, accessibility. So this isn't a specific, this isn't a specific thing or a, a game or a TV show or something like that, but it is a thing that my school did when I was a kid that oh. I think every school should do. Okay. Can I throw that in there? Please do. Okay. We had a thing, um, in elementary school called the international fair. And I think that's something we are able to do because we had an incredibly culturally diverse uh, faculty and uh, staff and and student body. We had one too. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, what we did was we took the gym because that's where everything happened when you're, you know, that's, yeah. you had, you had gym class in there, you had lunch in there. And then you had assembly the, in there. The spring fling. Yeah. Was the be spring in there. fling was in there. PTA meeting. Yeah. And so when you were there for gym, you would be sitting on the crumbs from lunch. And when you were eating lunch, you'd be slipping on the sweat from gym. And then you'd sit in all of it and you'd watch some guy do two hours on, you know, uh, why you shouldn't do heroin. Yeah. You know, that was always American fun. public school. Yeah. But once a year we would have a thing uh, called the international fair where they would set up um, sort of tables, picnic tables around in a giant ring in the room and then a couple in the middle too. And then each one represented each station represented a different country, mm -hmm. a different culture, a different place on the map. And so ideally there would be a representative from each country that was a student you went to school with and their parents. Okay. So 
um, one of my, a bunch of my best friends growing up, one of them was Greek, one of them was Pakistani, one of them was Korean, one was Chinese, Ooh. I was Italian, another was black, and we had all of these different cultures who sort of came from all over the place. Um, so, like, the family from Trinidad would set up shop in one of the desks and you'd walk by and it'd almost be like a science fair, mm-hmm. you know, like picture that where you would walk by and you would be like, okay, there's, um, there's a map where it is on the map. There's, uh, there's a, some pictures of the country on a poster board and all of that is fine and it's all well and good. But the most important aspect of this, the most important is that every single family or mother or father or student also had to create one item of food right. from that country. This is all very yes. familiar. <laughs> yes. And it is, I don't give a shit who you are yeah. or where you're from or what you do. Your racism stops at your taste buds. <laughs> that I genuinely believe that. That is a, did you make that, that statement up? I kind of just did. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's insightful. Yo, no, cause I really think that it's the kind of thing that like, if you close your eyes and somebody just hands you a spoon and of delicious food and you put it in your mouth and you start eating it and you're just like exploding with, you know, with joy and elation and your taste buds are flipping out. And then someone says that was made by someone from Sri Lanka. And you're like, but I hate people from there. And you're like, well, you don't anymore because you know how they cook. And so immediately, wow. immediately I was exposed to food from Pakistan, food from India, food from, from Korea, food from Japan. And I, I, you know, I will put it this way. Your stomach is a wreck at the end of the day because all of those things should yeah. not come together. But yeah, there's a very specific reason why when you go to buffets in Vegas, they're mostly isolated around a country or three, right? Because not otherwise 15. you have a lot of different yeah. spices yeah. and, and uh, seasonings. Yeah. And, and so time. you're in this room and it's this sort of like this incredible flurry of smells and odors and textures and flavors. And you get to smell curry for the first time and Szechuan wow. and marinara and soy and all this stuff. I soy love the sauce. passion with which you're speaking. Oh my here. God. I yeah. Mean, and it's just, okay. This is a great answer. I, I love this. I don't think it's an answer to David's question, but I don't care because it's so good. <laughs> well, That's I think every out. school needs it. I, I think every that. school needs it. And I think even if you don't and you get into tricky cultural appropriation territory, but even if your school doesn't have a Pakistani mother and a Korean father and a, you know, an aunt and uncle from Trinidad, um, I think there should be some way to at least try to attempt to cook foods yeah. from those cultures or figure out a way to respect them or understand them. Your racism and, ends at your taste. And eat That's from them. Yeah. yeah. Eat from different places around the world and you will be more open to loving and understanding them. That's great. Except for rice aroni, which I still don't understand despite it defining the city I it's live in. It's the San Francisco treat. Apparently, I keep hearing that, but I've never seen anyone eat it. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never seen anyone here eat rice aroni. No! Uh, actually, no, my wife has eaten rice aroni okay. here. She insisted on doing it Got after it. we moved here. But uh, the, uh, that was kind of a novelty. That's, it was kind of a gag gift. Thing, yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. That was, that was what that was. There's some great food in this city. Yeah. Um, uh, all right. Now, Pony Express, because uh, every segment has a cute little name. Okay. Uh, I'd love to do that. I like that. I like Eventually, the a little graphics there. and sound effects for all of these, maybe. But uh, Like a galloping <laughs> pony. Goes yes. And then, like, comes across the bottom of the screen. Kind of like the whammies on, yes. on Pressure Luck. He's just going to be like, <laughs> I'm totally into that. Yeah. I, I, so, 
if I can just get sound effects and, and graphics for all of this. We've got some opening graphics in, in the works right now, and then I'll be able to play more of your song, which I'm excited about. Excellent. They should be done very soon. Yeah, you asked me to make a 30-second song, and I made you a three-minute one. I don't well, know I how to make it. I asked you to make a 10-second song. I can't do that. Yeah, I asked for it, and you made a three-minute What's that, that quote about that author wrote about short? He was like, I, I was going to write a short story, but I didn't have enough time. Yeah, yeah. I, that's that's kind of spectacular. Like that. My favorite of those is James Joyce, who was found weeping at his desk one day by a friend. And his, his friend says, is it the writing? And Joyce is like, it's always the writing. <laughs> and his friend said, well, James, how many words have you written? And he said, eight. And his friend said, well, James, for you, that's not a bad day of writing. Yeah. And he said, yes, but I don't know what order they go in. <laughs> I, I love that story. Um, all right. Couple of, uh, couple of Red Dead related questions here. This one from Porg. What Easter eggs would you like to see in Red Dead 2? I'd personally like to see an Easter egg for Westworld. Oh. I think Jack underscore P said he'd like to see the Deluxo in a barn, like the DeLorean in Back to the Future Part 3, or maybe in a cave. Which That's a great idea. Cool. I love yeah. that. Um, I want to see the glitched out donkey woman. <laughs> I think she should be like in a cage in some town and everyone should be like, $10 to see the freak. Something like that. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's both horribly and like, like. Oh, it's the, wildly insensitive, yeah, but that, it's also fake. The, yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Oh my um, for those of you who don't remember, the last Red Dead game had a glitch where like donkey faces would have appear on some of the characters. Mm-hmm. And there was like this woman in town that had a donkey head and it was terrifying and you could talk to her. Wow. That's so I want to see them address that. Freaking amazing. Yep. Um, what about uh, this one from Michael uh, who asks, are you excited for more John Marston? We talked about this some last week. John's in the game. Mm-hmm. We know that. How do you feel about that? Um, I'm... I'll put it this way. For the longest time, I was incredibly hesitant to indulge in any kind of non-essential backstory media for a character I already know the demise of. Uh-huh. Um, I would say like pre- prequel type things never really work out for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Star Wars prequels are things that grew on me, but stuff like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre prequels. Uh, I'm sorry, are, Star, the Star Wars prequels grew on you? Yes. Get off my show. Oh, come on. Get off No, I mean, there show. are, please. Come. It grew on you like a... Oh, no, no, no. Like a canker. Do you like a, 100%? Like a, like a boil. Do you completely hate every part of every moment of them from top to bottom? Yeah. Really? I really loathe those movies. Oh, that's unfair. I yeah. think there's I a tried li- liking them. I wanted to like them. I was there opening night for all three of them. Okay, so this is what you need to get. You need to get the visual dictionaries and the making of art books. And you'll start to appreciate at least the artistry that went into some of the designs that are there. Oh, Doug Chang's an amazing artist. Oh, like, absolutely. Kind of, yeah, I have no problem with yeah. that. I, I, I'm great with that, and I'm great with... Episode I, Clone 1. Clone Wars did some amazing stuff. The, and, the, the practical effects in ep- Episode 1, um, they actually they built more props and sets for that movie than they did pretty much the other two combined. Mm-hmm. Um, Wish I could have told or told the difference. So. It's hard to tell, yeah. yeah. But they're there, and you appreciate yeah. them. I just feel like at that point, it's kind of... Watto. Like, it's kind of like going through your poop looking for corn. Uh, like, there's just... Anyway, usually I, you can see the corn. Uh, um, by the way, that <laughs> this is so gross, but that always reminds me um, of when you're broken, you buy Hungry Man, and the corn gets into the brownie. <laughs> oh, that always happens, right? It does, it, and then you eat it anyway. It just uh, looks I, like poop. I, yeah, I, it, the same has occurred to me. So with John, so with John, um, I was pretty against prequel backstory stuff until I watched Better Call Saul, okay. which is a story that explains the entire backstory of yeah. uh, of Saul Goodman. Right. Uh, From Breaking Bad. Yeah. Jimmy, who uh, I was like, I don't need this show. And then I realized this is incredibly well done. Yeah. 
it's not necessarily that prequel stuff is bad. It's that it's mostly usually bad. But there's a way to do it great. And I trust Rockstar to do this great. That same here. I And I don't think this is John's story. I think no. they've been pretty clear. This is a game about Arthur. Uh, and I'm sure they'll have some surprises to pull for us. But I welcome uh, the mode of storytelling. I trust them. They tell a good story. They're good. Yeah. That's, that's something they're, they're pretty delightful at. Finally. Uh, as always, uh, we end the show with our Red Dead Radio Poker Tournament. Uh, every week we deal a hand of five-card draw mm-hmm. to a guest. And then because it's not real poker because you Good, can't actually do anything about it. I don't know how to play real poker. That's a, You're the second guest. In a, so we've done this twice. You're the second person that doesn't have to play Alana? poker. No, uh, Alana, we didn't do this the first week. Okay. We did it with Greg last week. Alana's going to get a makeup hand at some point because Got uh, because she wasn't here. Because I, I hadn't thought of it yet. So your job is to beat Greg. Greg had a pair of nines. Okay. So I'm going to deal you five cards. Mm-hmm. You're going to tell me, even though you don't know how poker works. That make, this, this was a really good idea. I should have checked to see if people knew how to play poker beforehand. You're going to tell me how many cards you want to throw away to get new cards to replace them and then you're going to can i look at them first yes you can look at them first okay so i can look at these you look at these you're trying to make the best now you don't know the rules to poker but you're trying to make the best poker hand you can i think this is a good hand okay do you want to throw any away and uh, get new ones yeah i'll, I'll try do i what's what, i'm trying to get the lowest amount or the highest amount it's poker i i i i think it's more fun if i don't tell you <laughs> okay well we'll go with golf rules i want the lowest i okay. don't want that card anymore all right Okay, so that's not great. All right, what's your, what's your hand, my friend? Do you want to see? I want to okay. see. I have two twos, an ace, a five, and a, a, a jack. Let's show that to the camera here. Two twos, an ace, a five, and a jack. Do you know what that that hand is called? Shit. That's called a pair of twos. Okay. <laughs> uh, Greg Miller had a pair of nines. Okay, which so is he higher. wins. So Greg Miller wins. So okay, Greg Miller good. is still our tournament poker Excellent. champion. Excellent. Congrats right to Greg. Uh, yeah. And it makes me feel better that neither of us know how to play this game. And I'm just going to go ahead. Now that I, I've just got to do this. Uh, I've been thinking about it. We're just going to make this official. I think we need to have a poker night live stream at some point where we teach you guys to play poker. I, I feel like if I've gone this far in my life without learning, I'm going to keep going. Really? I like these jokers, though. I got a pair so. of jokers, so to me, I win anything that, that came after it. That's kind of great. Yeah. yeah. Poker is... Um, Poker is a delightful game. What I just did with you there isn't really how poker works, but there is no better card game than poker. Uh, it's superb. I disagree. I like the um, matching card game in Super Mario Brothers 3. I think that's probably the best card game there is. I think, no, nah, I think Red Dead Redemption uh, 5 or uh, uh, Texas Hold'em is the best video game. Card I actually game. really like Uno. I'm awesome at it. You're awesome. Yeah. How can you be awesome at Uno? You try not, shout to, really try not to get as mad as everybody else. Uh, so that you remember to say Uno? Mm-hmm. Is that what it is? Yep. Do you psych out people during Uno? You get them on tilt? I do what I can to, to subvert them until I win. I love you so much. I love you too. Thank you for giving up an evening for this. Uh, you of have, course. For those of you watching, there have been just like myriad technical problems tonight, which were all my fault. Totally fine. And Brian has waited through all of them for hours. So It's totally fine. I mean, as long as this, if, if this gets published, then that means that we're all good. Uh, my theory is that always the podcast gods steal a show a year like they just come in and they're just like this is ours this is the sacrifice this is the second time this happened to you too though i came in with that one time with the mic and the mic broke like this this is you know here's the thing if the microphones weren't here and the cameras weren't here i would still be doing shit like this with you you and i would still be talking we'd be i i think if you took everything away 
I would still find an excuse to hang out and talk talk to you. You're I doing you're doing my show tomorrow night, so yeah, tomorrow night comedy fingers button. F- comedy button tomorrow. Fingers crossed that nothing breaks. And what about Weird Heat? What's coming up soon on Weird Heat? Um, we are doing an episode on growing up, and then we're trying to do as many episodes as possible before I uh, go have a kid because I'm going to become a father. But um, Weird Heat, if you don't know about that, is a show we do twice a month uh, where Max Scoville and I take one word a concept such as optimism or nostalgia or isolation. And we have a, just a casual hour-long conversation about that. Uh, a lot of that sort of tends to step into, you know, mental health awareness and, and friendship and mm-hmm. depression. But uh, I think we do it in a way that's um, approachable and open and honest. And if you don't want to hear my voice anymore, I also make a new song for each episode. So you yeah. can just hear that. And uh, they're on Spotify and iTunes. New and songs, original art for yep. each episode. I... I love it. I watch it. It's good. It's Thank good you. Stuff. Thank you so much. It's filmed in that kind of artsy black and white. Yeah. We didn't want to color correct, so we just popped that black and white filter on and it got an A-plus in art school. Well done. Excellent. Thank you so much, friends. Uh, as always, you can reach us at mail at reddeadradio.com. That's mail at reddeadradio.com, or at least you can if I can ever log into it. So well, hopefully that will work. Uh, thank you. And Brian, thank you. anything else you want folks to check no, out? No, that's it. Thanks for supporting Jared, and uh, I'm incredibly excited to play Red Dead. Bye, friends. See you soon. <laughs>